0: Hey everybody, this is Brian Smith. I'm back with another episode of Grief to Growth, and today I've got with me April Hanna. And I'm going to read April's bio, and then we'll get started having a conversation. Um, April is the founder of Hannah's Healing Wellness Studio, and she's co-founder of a media production company in Upstate New York. Uh, she's been providing um, she's been providing services to clients for over two decades in mental health counseling, in combination with a variety of healing modalities and consciousness studies to her clients around the world. After she co-founded her media production company, Path 11 Productions in 2008, she went on to produce three documentaries on life and de- life after death and consciousness studies. She's the host of the Path 11 podcast and recently launched her first streaming television network, Path 11 TV. April has interviewed over 350 of the top selling best authors, scientists, and researchers of consciousness on her podcast. She delivered more than 10,000 Reiki and energy healing sessions to her clients and spent many hours documenting, investigating, and filming topics related to grief, bereavement, and afterlife studies. So after April's mother passed away tragically in 2019, April emerged herself further in the study of the afterlife, and she's now made it her life's mission to use her film production company and one-on-one consultations to help others become better prepared, not only for their own deaths, but for the death of their loved ones. So with that, I want to welcome April Hannah.
2: Hi Brian, thanks so much for having me on. I, yeah. I I never expected I would be in the other seat. You know, I'm so used to being a podcast host myself that I was like, wow, this is kind of weird, you know, to actually be interviewed. So thanks for uh, having me on today.
0: Yeah, it's good, it's good to have you here. And I've I've been in both seats. I'm not sure which seat is easier. So <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, how did you get started in I knew your background's in mental health counseling? Uh, and that 's right. interesting, my daughter just graduated uh, actually a couple of weeks ago with her with her master's in mental health counseling so very nice she she 's just going into the field so what what led you to to choose that as a as a profession as a career
2: yeah well I mean, I think I always knew very early on what my life calling was. Like, I've never had any doubts about that. I knew that I wanted to be a teacher in in some sort of way, but I was always that person that my friends would come to. I was the great listener. I somehow, you know, had some good advice. Um, All adults around me would say, you're such an old soul. You know, I think things were coming out of my mouth when I was a young kid that like young kids like shouldn't have, you know, that information. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I grew up in a really... I would say very open family. Um, The women in my family were very intuitive and very psychic. And so I kind of was always a little bit in this um, intuition you know, lifestyle and realm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that blended with some trials and tribulations in childhood. Um, You know, my mom struggled a lot with alcohol, alcoholism and addiction. I usually say that my family were my best teachers. Um, And Mm -hmm. really just having a little bit of a traumatic childhood. When I was a teenager, I just wanted to like, research and you know, figure out how I could be a better person and understand my own anxiety. And my family threw me into therapy very young uh due mm. to my mom's addiction issues. So I think I was seeing a therapist as early as like first grade. Um, so therapy's always been a part of my life. And um I think just being really influenced by having really great therapists that helped me throughout my life uh, saved my life, you know, and I really mm. was a child that ended up, I guess, taking the better road. You know, I never turned towards addiction, drugs or alcohol. I was kind of, I guess, more of that overachiever, um, you know, want to make everybody proud and, uh, you know, just kind of felt like I really couldn't help my mom in many ways. So, you know, you go on to help others who who kind of want that help. So I um, just, it felt very natural. I had no questions about what I was going to study in college. It was like mm-hmm. psychology drawn to it. I was always fascinated with people watching and, you know, the behavior of people. So it was a very easy choice for me. And then um, in my 20s, while I was uh, going through grad school, I encountered my first energy healer. And um, I was a rape crisis counselor at the time. And we had a coworker who was a male. And we were just sitting around the lunch table one day, we were talking about dreams. Mm -hmm. And at the time in my 20s, I would have really vivid dreams, I would be in people's houses. And then I was like, walking into a house that I had dreamt of, right? So like, I started making these diagrams and like, Oh, what's going on, you know, just having like really strange experiences. So we're sitting around the table. And he's talking about, Oh, yeah, my wife has really vivid dreams. And she's always dreaming of houses. And actually, this morning, she woke up and she said, Oh, I was in this yellow house. And I walked up the stairs. And I took a left. And as he's recounting this, I was in that house the same night dreaming of that. So I was like, who is your wife? What does she do? And I need to meet her. And she was actually a registered nurse working in uh, Kingston Hospital in New York. And, um, and she did card readings and energy healing. So I went to go see her just to check her out. And I was like, yeah, I'll get a card reading. And um, it was she was the first woman that ever put her hands on me and delivered energy work. And in that one session, I healed more things than I had ever healed in clinical therapy.
1: Mm. Wow. So
2: that was a really life changing moment for me. And I was like, okay, whatever this is, I would love to figure out how to do this so I can blend it with the therapy that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then, so in my twenties, that led me into all studies of any type of energy healing that I could get my hands on. And of course, the first thing that most people get trained in is Reiki. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've been doing Reiki now for over 20 years and I went through all the different levels and continue to study different, different modalities. Um, Mm -hmm you know, to this day, and then I've been able to incorporate it into the work that I do with people. And I find that when you treat people more on the mind, body, spirit, soul level, and not just their mind level, healing happens at like accelerated speeds. So uh, that's what kind of got me into, uh, you know, blending more of the esoteric work with, um, with the therapy.
0: Yeah. So what other modalities do you blend with your with, uh, with the therapy?
2: Yeah. So I went, uh, I went ahead and got trained in clinical hypnotherapy um, mm-hmm. at the Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in uh, Mesa, Arizona. So I did that for a while. And that has been amazing because it just uh, made me a better meditation teacher. You know, I learned different induction techniques to be able to bring people down into a more relaxed state. Um, gosh, I've studied with uh, Sadhguru um, and took a 32 hour and en- inner engineering course on, you know, med- meditation, and just the way to be, you know, more on that being level. I've also been trained in esoteric healing uh, with a lady by the name of Bernadette Bloom. Mm, uh, wow touch and breathe therapy. I'm sure you've heard of uh, emotional freedom technique and the tapping techniques that people mm-hmm. can use and uh, eye movement therapy, EMDR. So, I mean, I have a toolbox that wow. is, uh, you know, filled with a bunch of different, uh, different skills and, you know, love to blend um, seven years ago. I got it into essential oils because I found that that really um, enhanced the Reiki sessions that I was doing and the energy sessions, people respond really well to scent, um, mm-hmm. So the essential oils uh, I've really gotten into. So kind of pretty much, pretty much anything you can think of. I have uh, tried to get trained in.
0: Wow. So how do you determine when you're working with a client, which are the modalities to use?
2: Yeah. Well, I think it really depends. The three that I usually specialize in is anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress, and grief. So mm-hmm. It really, everyone is so different. And I think the really helpful mm-hmm. thing about learning all these different tools is not, no one person is the same. Right. So, you know, and, and PTSD. So the trauma and the PTSD is pretty huge. And anytime somebody's coming in with trauma or PTSD, I usually go straight for, um, you know, the techniques that help to change the neural pathways in the brain. So the thought field therapy, the tapping techniques, um, the eye movement therapy, mm-hmm. because without getting like, you know, too sciencey and brain and stuff here, but you know, what I've learned about trauma is that it gets trapped in the amygdala part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And our amygdala is kind of like uh, the fire alarm, you know, that goes off. And, you know, many times when people are experiencing trauma or PTSD, the body doesn't know how to calm itself. So anytime I'm working with somebody in that case, I usually like to introduce more of those techniques in right away. And also the hypnotherapy, you really have to get them out of that state of fight or flight. So that's really helpful. People that come in with anxiety respond really well to the Reiki sessions, um, the guided meditations and the mm-hmm. hypnotherapy. And, uh, and then you have a lot of people who are like really mentally stable and they're really, just on the spiritual path and, you know, life is good. Work is good. Relationships are good. And they're really coming for more of a deeper spiritual awareness of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know we met through the afterlife awareness conference and um you know with path 11 tv that i'm doing and path 11 productions that has like giving me my own library to give my clients um yeah. you know just uh you know meeting you and all of the speakers at the afterlife awareness conference i have a whole grief library you know with the podcast and, and everything like that so mm-hmm. i take a lot from what i've learned from you guys um you know about grief i you know i'm constantly recommending recommending books or websites or people, or if it's outside my scope, I'm like, okay, here's a connection. Let's go there. So it really depends on what the person is presenting at the time of their, their session.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So what got you into actually producing like documentary? I know you produce a couple or three documentaries, right? So what, what got you into doing that?
2: Yeah. So that's kind of a funny story. So back in 2008, I was going through this transition where I used to work in a psychiatric hospital on a children's unit, so I did mm-hmm. inpatient uh, therapy. And uh, as I was getting more into the holistic work, I was kind of feeling a little bit of a rub against of what my belief systems were, because, you know, I was working with children that were having pretty intense, like grief reactions like I'll never forget this one child that came in. He was four or five years old, and his grandfather had died. Mm-hmm. And he was seeing his grandfather. And he was having conversations with him and they put that child on Risperdal, which is an antipsychotic.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: And I am like, there is just something really not okay with this system. Like this child, you know, and I was learning about how like the children are still in both worlds. Right. Mm -hmm. And the veil, Mm -hmm. the veil has not, has not been, you know, put down. And, and he was having conversations with the grandfather and seeing him and it was natural grief, but also, you know, children being psychic, intuitive and sensitive and able to have access to that other world much easier. And then I saw this child get put on antipsychotics. And that was kind of the day that I said, okay, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. Hmm. Um, because it just doesn't feel right anymore. And so I decided to go into my own private practice. So the day I launched my website, I get this email from this videographer, Michael Habernig, saying, oh, I see that you're a Reiki master, and I wanted to do a documentary about Reiki. Are you interested? And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, the universe is responding. I guess this is really true. If you follow your path, it will support you, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I was like really excited. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I just put the website out now. I'm going to be in a documentary. Like, this is awesome. So I met with Mike. And we sat down and we had coffee and we started talking and I was like, I really don't want to be filmed, but because I I felt like still really green in the field of healing, you know, I was maybe only about seven years in, you know, practicing Reiki and learning all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said to Mike, I said, I have really amazing teachers who like have been doing this work for 20, 25 years. I said, I'm really good organizing things. Um, I'm a really good writer. And why don't I reach out to them and let's interview them. Mm -hmm. So we kind of combined our ideas together. And Mike was on a spiritual journey too. He had in one year, I would say almost like 12 to 15 people die in his life. They were friends, family, coworkers, pets, you know, neighbors, animals. Um, And it really made him begin to question what he was taught growing up in his religion.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: he was kind of doing this in-depth study and uh, you know, was like researching about Reiki and out-of-body experiences and came across the Monroe Institute. And he just happened to find me because we, we lived 11 miles away from each other. So he contacted me and I said, yes. So as we got to talking, we realized that um, with all of the teachers that I had and a couple of the people that he wanted to reach out to, we were going to be able to film a bunch of people and have enough footage to create a documentary. Hmm. And we had so much footage that it became a trilogy series. So, um, so the trilogy series is called, um, the path, the path series, and we wanted it to kind of mimic a little bit of what's what Mike's journey was in questioning the afterlife So our first film is called The Path Afterlife, which is a collection of stories of people. um, One lady got struck by lightning and died and came back. She had a near-death experience. Other people are researchers of consciousness and out-of-body experts like William Buhlman, Thomas Campbell, um, and people from the Monroe Institute. So -hmm. we collected a bunch of stories. And after we made that documentary, we both believed, okay, there's something that happens after death. We Mm -hmm. we believe in an afterlife now. Mm And then the next film is called The Path Beyond the Physical. And that uh, was all about, okay, now that we know that there's an afterlife and we're consciousness, how do we play with consciousness? And that got us into the study of astral projection. How do you go out of body? How do you visit different dimensions? And, um, and so with that, we were able to interview a man by the name of Skip Atwater, who was a part of the classified mission called Stargate where mm-hmm. our you know military was training psychic spies and it's become declassified and so we got to learn all about that history and put that in there because the Monroe Institute was also being investigated by the government because they were doing these bina- binaural beats and people were going out of body and all these people were like you know gathering around on weekend retreats and you know doing some funky stuff yeah so so we go from believing okay there's an afterlife, okay what's this what does this mean that we're consciousness and we're not our physical bodies. And then the third one we really followed a nuclear physicist um he's retired now he worked for NASA. And his name is Tom Campbell. And he has his own toe, so in physics that means theory of everything. Mm. And he really believes that we live in a virtual reality and that we're kind of, you know, playing these roles in these avatars and that love is really at the basis of consciousness and why Mm. we're here you know Mm. we're here to evolve and the way to evolve is to become more like love so the third uh documentary was called the path the path evolution and that really follows his scientific theory on consciousness so we created those three films um we kind of toured the northeast and uh went out to los angeles and had a couple of shows out there And, uh, and then we took a break because it took like six years to do It was long. Wow. Um, And then as we were taking that break, Mike was like, well, we don't want to lose our audience. And this was when podcasts were just starting to come out. And he's like, April, you need to host a podcast for us. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to host a podcast. I'm not a podcast host. He's like, you'll be fine. You talk to people all the time. (laughs) I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And I think we started that in 2015 and we're like still going, um, So that's how the podcast kind of. Uh,
0: so is that what me. became Path Eleven then?
2: No, Path Eleven uh, really started with the documentaries. So, okay. Right. Okay. so we called ourselves Path Eleven, and then we just added Path Eleven podcast. And yeah, then, that's
0: that's what I meant. So, we, the, yeah. this project you started that was what started Path Eleven. And exactly. what's what's the origin of uh, Path Eleven? This is it's, it's an interesting name.
2: Yeah. So we both felt that we were on the spiritual path, right? We Mm -hmm. were two people that ended up, you know, coming together on the spiritual path. And the significance of the number 11 um, was pretty strong when we were going into the studio to edit the film we were we were experiencing the 1111 phenomenon a mm-hmm. lot we had no idea what that was but every time we look at the clock it's 11 11 1-11. um then we met with one of my teachers and she talked to us about numerology and she figured out what our life path numbers were mm-hmm. and I was a life path nine and Mike was a life path 11 and then you know then we started noticing like, when we were driving to do interviews with people uh, on Google Maps, it would estimate our time of arrival was mm-hmm. Um, I had my phone st- like in the car after an interview for the documentaries. And I go to pick it up afterwards. And there were 13 ones on my cell phone at the time. And we're like, what is going on here? And uh, and then I later found out that I was born at one eleven PM. And Mike and I lived 11 miles away from each other. Wow. So, you know, the the 11 just became significant. So mm-hmm said okay we're on a path why don't we just call it path 11 because 11 keeps showing up and that's how we got our name
0: yeah that 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 is awesome so um so it's interesting you know as we're talking today this was keeps coming up for me this week it's like um this idea of i've heard people say there's no evidence of the afterlife and i was in uh Actually, Victor, Victor Zaman's group, I'm sure you know who Victor is, mm-hmm. uh, Victor Zaman's group. And someone said, you know, should we try to talk to skeptics? And how do we convince them? We're talking about the amount of evidence that there is or isn't. And, you know, I hear about these documentaries you produced, and there's so much, you know, evidence. And, and you even touched on the fact the government knows consciousness is real. The government has studied this, you know. Um, but it's still perceived a little bit as woo-woo. It's kind of out there. And people say, well, it's not really scientific.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and I wonder too, like, as you're talking, I wonder if we get tripped up on the vocabulary that we use because we're calling it afterlife, but really it's all consciousness, hmm. but but we need a label and we need language to try to explain what does it look like when it's not in the physical body?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, so and and like you said, there's tons of proof. I mean, like, what other proof do they need at this point? Yeah. I mean, we are, we are still having, com- everyone uh, that I've come across has had some sort of paranormal, right? Interaction or communication with, with something that has either lived here on this earth or has inhabited a physical body and mm-hmm. is no longer. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes maybe, you know, we get confused with the word dead, death afterlife. But really, I think that consciousness is just, it's a, it's a continuation. It's those people who are transitioned, you know, are still, are still a piece of consciousness. With that information stored in that consciousness, that is just not in the physical body. So maybe it's just we have to find different words and stop calling it the afterlife.
0: <laughs> I don't yeah, know. well, it's funny because uh, Suzanne Giesman, I remember she coined the term the everlife because it's like there it, it's just one continuous life. There, there isn't an afterlife. And you're you're right. Terms like dead, which implies that we end, as opposed to as you know, transition is another phrase that you used. And even the term paranormal. Paranormal is just something we don't understand yet. And, you know, analogy I'll give to people like if you took someone from 500 years ago and told them about radio or television or cell phones, they would say that's magic or that's that's paranormal. There's no way you can ever be able to communicate with someone across the world like you and I are right now wirelessly without Mm -hmm. any kind of physical contact. That's impossible. Um, So impossible is just, you know, a phrase we use for something we don't understand yet. Um, So, yeah, I really love what you're doing. By putting out these documentaries and and the people that you interview that provides this, I guess, permission for people to believe what we've already known. I mean, we've our humankind has known this for millennia, but it's been the last couple hundred years that we've kind of like forgotten who we are.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the videos that we produce and the stuff that we're putting out there on path 11 TV, again, kind of gives people more of that repetition of stories. Right. And it's like, if you hear enough of these stories in these accounts, how can you begin to really deny that there's some, some experience that's happening?
0: Yeah. And I love what you said there. Also, I think there's value in the repetition. You know, it's funny because I've been studying near death experiences for wow, 15, 20 years now. And I still can't get enough of them. I, I mean, yeah. I still, I still listen to near death experience podcasts. I look them up on YouTube because while they're all the same, they're also all unique. Right. And it's, And we also need to, I guess, kind of keep reinforcing this, this path that we, you and I believe that we're on anyway.
2: Stay with us. We'll be right back. Yeah. And the thing that I find really comforting too, because I'm the same way, it's like, give me another story. Let me, let me hear again. And I've interviewed a lot of people on the pod, the path 11 podcast who have had Mm -hmm. near death experiences. And the thing that I find comfort, comforting is, you know, everyone's recollection just of how peaceful and how loving that energy is and, you know, of what they experience when, when they're there. And, like you said, a lot of them have some of the same basic messages that people come back to say, which again, in itself is really interesting. Um, but then, you know, the uniqueness of the story of what each person learns and how their life changes, you know, like mm-hmm. um, just in, next week, I'm going to interview another man that has had a near death experience. This is going to be a document, new documentary that we're working on for Path Lemon TV.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: um, he came back and became this wonderful artist had no artistic skill never did art in his life and now like the near death experience has brought him different skills that he never had and he's creating this beautiful art and kind of bringing this you know back to the people as his gift so yeah, yeah i find i find near death experiences really comforting too it's like whether you have a belief system or not like listen with an open ear and you know see what you think
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, I think, think that people like you and I are just, we're just suckers. Like we'll fall for anything or it's wishful thinking. And what they don't realize, at least most of the people I've met that really entered this field, most of us are still really skeptical. And I think that's why we keep studying it so much because we're like, okay, I'm I'm still really skeptical about this. And I look for those, what they call veridical near-death experiences. Did you experience something that you could not have experienced otherwise? Not just, I had this nice, you know, I saw angels and I came back to my body. But can you tell me what the doctor was saying while you were unconscious or right. the, the guy that you just mentioned? That's probably is it David Ditchfield.
2: Uh, no, no. his oh, name really? is, uh Rodney Bentley.
0: Okay. That sounds a lot like David Ditchfield because he had a near-death experience and he came back and he was able to create not only art, but music. And the guy couldn't even read or write music before. So our our Anita Marjani who, you know, came back, it was miraculous to hear from healed from cancer. Cancer, So those are the ones that really fascinate me because it's like, okay, this is not, this is not the brain being deprived of oxygen. This is not wishful thinking. This is not, you know, you, you had a dream. This is, this is real evidence.
2: Yeah. And I love those stories too where, you know, the medical community says, Well, what we don't know. <laughs> I yeah. guess it's a miracle, you know, like the miracle stories, or there's no explanation. We can't explain it.
0: Um yeah, they'll never use the word miracle, they'll call it like a spontaneous healing.
2: Right. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we call it a miracle. There's oh, it's a spontaneous healing.
2: Mm-hmm. And that could happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um I know you've been doing the Path 11 podcast for a while, but Path 11 TV, I I believe, is fairly new. So tell me about Path 11 TV.
2: Yeah. um, So we launched it in November um, in the middle of a pandemic and a crazy election year. So, (laughs) you know, we... kind of the pandemic put a lot of things on hold we were supposed to launch it at a different time and you know so it was a little I think it got um overshadowed by everything that was going on so Mm -hmm. really appreciate you having me on so I can start spreading the word a little bit more now that people are you know calming down a little bit with everything but um yeah so since 2008 Mike and I really have been Um, you know, filming, we have a bunch of different projects um, that we really weren't doing anything with. We were just kind of sitting on this footage. We knew that we would create something, but we weren't quite sure. And then one year, it was about three years ago, I believe, or in 2018, I had this experience. um, And again, just following the wisdom of spirit saying, you're going to do something with the afterlife conference. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, let me reach out to this woman that organizes it. And these would be really great people for the podcast. So my intention was to podcast and to come down to the conference and podcast live Mm -hmm. so we could get more content. And, uh, Terry said, well, this is interesting because the production team that we've used every year doesn't want to do it this year. Do you guys want to do it? And Mike and I were like, Oh my gosh! Okay, sure. Um, so when when the conference was being held in person, we would be the production team that would go down to the hotels and we would live stream it for people that couldn't be there in person and they could mm-hmm. watch it. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that now for three years. And with all that and the arrangement that we have with Terry, you know, it's like we help her out, she helps us out. And she had given us the rights to what we film because you know we don't charge her anything to do any of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this nice even trade. And so we said, well, we have all this content. Content, let's put it on a television network and mm-hmm. so I kind of look at path 11 tv as a library and a resource for people and we like to film and investigate what we're still curious about so um so we have a lot we have the three conferences uh, 2018 19 2020 of the afterlife conference so you're up there on path 11 tv um we also filmed uh A segment called Shortcuts on the Path. So, Shortcuts on the Path was an idea that I had to. Uh, make mini short documentaries about different types of healing techniques. Cause like I said, when I was in my Hmm. twenties, I wanted to learn all about these different modalities. So I figured, well, why don't we actually go out to these practitioners and let's, you know, make a mini documentary. So if people aren't really sure if they want to try a salt cave or a float tank or acupuncture or hypnotherapy, they can watch this and then they get an idea. And then maybe they might be a little less scared to try you know, a holistic medicine. So we have that, um, that's a full season that we have Mm. on Path 11 TV, we have over 100 hours right now of video content on there. Mm. And then um, the other thing that I really love to do is to kind of catch people who are like grassroots healers, you know, they're like, On the ground, they're not famous, they're not necessarily out there writing books or holding huge conferences, but they're making these really small changes in community. And that's what I think is most important, right? We start with ourselves Mm -hmm. and then if we're a person that is following our spirit, our soul, and our passion, we are going to be that ripple effect. So I really look for people in my community um, who are doing that. And I created two seasons of something called conversations on the path. So I sit down with people like you, um, you know, and people that are just really making a difference, but they're really connected to who they are and their purpose and they're living it. They're not they're not afraid. They're just like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, We also have some UFO footage on there. Uh, Travis Walton, one of the most famous UFO abduction stories. We went down and uh, filmed a UFO conference and uh, Terry Daniel has her um, podcast called Ask Dr. Death. So we have her on the Path 11 TV as well. So there's a bunch of content there. But, um, I think in this next year, we're really going to focus, um, come back around more to just the afterlife and near death experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to become a little more niche. Uh, we have a lot of different things up there right now for, Mm -hmm. you know, different variety of taste, but I think because our love comes with exploring the afterlife that we're just going to really begin to focus it in, tell more stories, create more documentaries about that.
0: Oh, cool. I, I have to ask you, because you mentioned UFOs, and I, how do UFOs relate to afterlife? And I know those two seem to, to come together a lot. So how, does, yeah. how do those two tie together?
1: We'll get back to Grief to Growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach, to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief the number 2 growthcom or text growth g r o w t h to 31996. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com/grieftogrowth www.patreon.com/grief the number 2 g r o w t h to make a financial contribution. And now, back to grief to growth. Stay
2: with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. wwwgriefthenumber 2 NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it.
2: Well, I mean, in my experience, it's interesting because I was talking to uh, this gentleman. Truth Seeker is his name. He has a podcast, too, and we had him on. We were on his podcast and he brought up a really interesting point. He's like, you no longer hear about UFO abductions anymore, do you? It's almost like, you know, people were getting taken up into the spaceships and like, you don't really hear those stories that much anymore. Right. Mm. So um, I think how how does it relate to the afterlife? Again, I think it's not necessarily a part of the afterlife, but it's a part of the consciousness. And for us to think that we are just the only, you know, living sentient beings in this galaxy is like absurd to just believe that earth is the only you know, planet that has living life on it. So I think I'm not sure why it may connect with the afterlife, but I think it, ha- it carries that mystery of what else is out there, who yeah. else is out there. And I think it also expands our ability to um, expand our consciousness out even further beyond the physical body. And I think those UFO stories help us to do that.
0: Yeah, I just think as, as we were having this discussion, one thing that just occurred to me is also there is so much evidence. I'm not really into UFOs, but there's so much evidence, mm-hmm. you know, and even the government has released evidence. And again, coming back to a conversation I was having early this week with what evidence would it take for people to accept the afterlife as like being, quote, proven. Now, the government has even said we've, we've seen UFOs. I mean, they've, they've actually released this and announced it and people just kind of went, yeah, and they just kept moving on. <laughs> and 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 you still have people that are denying it, even though the governments actually say, "Yeah, we do have evidence for this." And it's 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 kind of similar with the afterlife. We've gotten this to this point where it's like, "Well, prove it to me." And I've I've, I've even had this conversation with people. There's no evidence, and I'll say, "Okay, well, here here's a bunch of evidence." I will just throw it at them. Well, you can't. That's NDEs aren't real. Mediumship's not real. You know, paranormal investigations. None of that stuff is real. Therefore, there's no evidence. So they just basically looked at this mountain of evidence and just dismissed it all out of hand and just keep on leaving whatever it is they believe.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm not like a huge conspiracy theory person, and I'm not big into politics and all of that. But I have heard some people say, and I think there might be some truth to it, is that maybe some of this really isn't validated um, in the mainstream. Because if we truly understood the power of what we have and what we can do with our consciousness and our minds, that could be really scary for maybe some of the, you know, the big brother businesses, you know, the way that earth kind of runs in the rule set with the money and the companies and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, if you really kind of think about the rules that we have on earth and the structure, it's like, um, you know, we're kind of told, okay, will you go to school? And after school, then you should go to college. And after college, you want to maybe meet your lifelong partner. And after that, well, then you need to get engaged or you need to date, you need to court. So go out to the restaurants, buy a bunch of stuff, uh, buy the fancy ring. Now let's plan a really big wedding. And after you plan the wedding, let's buy a house. And after the house, maybe you should have a couple of kids. And then you need to expand your house and your car and all of that. So it's like, if you kind of see, how I feel like we're kind of told how to live, or there's like this unspoken rule set to live. And then you have people that are like, you know, and I think in this younger generation, they're like, ah, forget about marriage. And I just want to travel and I want to live life. And they're kind of messing up the economy a little bit, you know, and and not really kind of buying into what society is kind of telling us, at least in my generation, what I thought we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that there's a lot of power in studying the afterlife and studying UFOs and studying the galaxies and really training your mind um, and not allowing it to be filled with fear and a lot of clutter and a lot of, you know, like the monkey mind. And when you get a really clear mind and understand how to use your consciousness, you become very powerful, you know, And, and, and in a good way. And granted, are there people that could maybe, you know, use that not for good, sure. You know, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure that can happen, but yeah. I think the world world would be a lot different, and we wouldn't be so fearful. We maybe wouldn't be so dependent on money, and you know, all of this stuff. So, yeah, that's that's my take on it.
0: Well, our system is set up on competition, and it's set and it is set up on 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 divide and conquer. Frankly, and if we all if we all realize that we're all the same, and we're all one consciousness, and what I do to you affects me. It would totally change things. And, you know, it's interesting because when the government was looking into, I don't know all the names of all the different programs, Stargate, Stargate and MK ultra, but they were like the remote viewing stuff they were doing. And they realized there were people that could sit in a room and describe something that was going on halfway around the world and, and draw it. They're like, well, what does this do to our top secret stuff? Right. You, know, how, do you right. protect, how do you protect, how do you break this? <laughs> Putting it in the vaults, not doing any good Cause this guy's describing what's inside the vault.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think that there's power in that, right? So, you know, it just makes me wonder, like, maybe it's never really validated because of that. And, you know, there is a little bit of a mind control of the masses. And I think people who, you know, you hear the term wake up, people who are waking up, they're not on their spiritual path, tend to, um, see how we can be indoctrinated with fear. And like most people that are waking up, usually the first thing that they do is stop watching the news. (laughs) You know, it's like, I just can't handle that anymore. And then like, you don't become as programmed into what's going on, you know, in society, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I know there were a couple of things that really kind of, and then you talked earlier and I thought this was interesting because a lot of times people that experience trauma, they, they set out to not only heal their own trauma, but heal other people's trauma. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, as I watch your life path, I, I see that, you know, you're like, I experienced this trauma. How do I, I want to understand this? So trauma is a really interesting thing for people because none of us likes it, but it does transform us. You know, it can make us you know better. So I, I know your, your mother passed in 2019. How did that impact your path?
2: Yeah, it shook me. You know, I thought I was really, um, prepared and well-versed in death and bereavement, you know, and then you have something like that happen. And, um, you know, when my mom had passed, it was, all I could say is I was so grateful for finding Path 11 Productions and being on the spiritual journey since 2008, because it was like in that moment, it was like, oh, okay, I get it. Everything that I've been doing, everything that has come, you know, into my life, kind of prepared me as much as I could be prepared for that moment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it was pretty traumatic because she was um, crossing the street late at night. Um, she was under the influence and she ended up getting hit by a car mm-hmm. and yeah. And, you know, my mom and I, its it was a very, you know, just a challenging relationship from the beginning. And um, be- because there was always an element of addiction, you know, and, You know, her going in and out of rehabs, and she was 65, and had maybe 10 years of sobriety under her belt, and then Mm -hmm. fell off the wagon again, you know, so. I would say that a large part of my life was trying to heal this trauma and trying to heal this relationship and trying to understand how to be in a relationship with an addicted parent, uh, how to create boundaries, how to keep myself sane so I could function, you know, in my own life. And so that was really tough because, you know, with the trauma, not only of her death and the way that she died, there was also trauma in the relationship because we were estranged from each other for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we would, still call and talk, but she was in just a really bad place. So, um, so when that happened, I had done a lot of my own trauma work. I mean, clearly, you know, it's like even up until this day kind of launched me back in because when you're a child of an alcoholic and or a parent that has addiction, um, there was something that happened after her death, which allowed me to go into the trauma that I had in a different way because I was no longer the child that was waiting to get the phone call that my mom was going to die. You know, there was, Mm. there was relief in the death of that her suffering and pain is over but there was also something of the fight or flight of okay am i going to get a call from the police where is she living now what is she doing does she need money you know kind of all of that stuff and then when the death came there was this peace. but then it was really time for me to do the work right. and um so i would say like so grateful for the filming the afterlife conference i knew that my mom was going to pass intuitively i did not think it was going to be in this way. Mm-hmm. And when we were at the Afterlife Conference in Utah, Linda Fitch, uh, who is a shaman, did a fire ceremony. And here, and I'm filming, right? I'm, I'm filming, I'm doing my job. And all of a sudden, this ceremony brings up so much grief within me. And I just mm-hmm. intuitively knew that my mom was going to die that year. Um, and I had dreams of it. I had dreams of the officer coming to my apartment and actually notifying me, which was exactly what had happened. Like wow. a lot of intuitive stuff. Wow. And, um, And so here I am trying to film the afterlife conference, the ceremony is going. And then all of a sudden I had to put down the camera and I had to like join in into the ceremony. And I was putting in all the fear and the sadness about my mom and just was like grieving her death before it had even happened. And uh, you know, I know that Mike caught me on film, like just bawling my eyes out, you know? Um, So it was just, um, you know, having gone through a lot of these ceremonies and learning different shamanic techniques, um, understanding kind of what the bereavement process was like, helped me to move through the process with a little more grace, you know, after she had passed. And, you know, where I'm at now is really understanding um, that there's something to be done with this story now. Right. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in the world who are affected by um, people that they love very much who have struggled with addiction. And uh, it's really hard not only to be an addict, but to be a family member that loves them. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, just understanding tragic death in a, in a different way, you know, yeah. it, Um like was like okay, uh, there's there's a lot to unravel here. So given the fact that I have the platform with Path Eleven TV, I have this podcast, I'm in the process of my own journey of doing some journaling, doing some writing. Um, I'm going to be reaching out to the driver that killed my mom um, mm-hmm. to see if he is willing to have a conversation. Um, Because being a mental health therapist, I can only imagine like I have so much um, just like empathy and concern for him because his world also changed that night. And we're two strangers that will always forever be bonded by the date of October 19th, you know, and I really want the opportunity to be able to talk to him and let him know that like our family carries no resentment, that my mom was suffering, that you know, when we think about the soul contracts, like this is another thing that I had mentioned on another podcast in doing all this documentation with path 11 TV, I learned about the concept of soul contracts. So understanding that also took the sting a little bit out of my mom's death, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, Mm Clearly, this was kind of pre planned, set up. You know, I know that I chose her to be my mom and she chose me to be her daughter. And, you know, and this gentleman that was there the night, you know, in perfect timing for this to happen, he was also a part of the plan. So, and, um, you know, I did a little research too to see how many pedestrian deaths there are in the world each year. And there was, there's, quite, quite a few, mm-hmm. you know, thousands. Um, so I'm like, okay, so now I kind of share that group similar to you, right? Like you're in that, in that group of a grief community that has lost children. And like, you can understand that community, you know, I feel like I kind of got thrown into a community of tragic loss and death and specifically mm-hmm. people that, you know, get hit by cars. And there's a whole process to like the police investigation and what happens with that, the trauma of things, not being able to be released to the family and until this, 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 and that is done, Um, you know, identification of, of the body, whether you're able to do that or not do that. I mean, there's, there's just like a lot, you know, that goes with that. So I have really felt, um, wasn't expecting like my life to kind of be a little more focused on my mom, um, you know, and, and all of this, but it's just like, how do I not with the platform that I have begin to Unravel my healing journey and use it for good to hopefully inspire someone um, who is also a child of an alcoholic or an addicted parent. So that's kind of my it's been my mission now, which is why I'm here on your podcast.
0: yeah, that that is uh, that's great that you're you're taking that and 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 transmuting it into something mm-hmm. that can help other people. Um, you know I can tell you, I work with helping parents heal. So the one thing we have in common is we've all had children transition. Uh, before us. But everybody feels like their thing is different. They're like, well, my child transitioned by suicide. So you can't understand me My, because my child transitioned by you know, my my daughter had a heart issue. So we we form all these little subgroups. And I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not trying to uh, criticize that. But for me, it's like the thing is we all lost our children. So that's what we all have in common. But everybody needs to kind of hear their own story in someone else. So in your case, your particular story will help someone who's gone through through that. And I know that when someone is suffering from a uh, drug or alcohol addiction, as you said, it impacts you during the time that they're here, but it also makes the grief more complicated. And, and, and what ways does it do that? And what ways does it change the grief process?
2: Well, I mean, I think what I've had to work through were a lot of the shoulds. Should I have... Why didn't I, um, I think it complicates it because, you know, my mom had called me, it was maybe a week and a half um, before this incident happened. And I think her soul knew, you know, it was mm-hmm. one of those things. Mm-hmm. And she left a voicemail message and she was not in the right mind. I could tell that she was either on drugs or or drinking. And it was this plea for, I need to know that my daughter's okay and that my dog's okay because I have her dog Bowie. <laughs> And, um, I was in the middle of moving my office. Like this whole time was just so crazy and weird because I had also got a very strong intuitive feeling that I needed to come out of my office lease. And like spirit was like, you need to move now. And, I have been learning that when you get something that strong, like don't question it anymore. And I was like, okay, why am I doing this? I felt like I was like in this zombie mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm calling, I'm like, why am I calling my realtor and asking to get out of my lease? And I, I just kept hearing downsize, downsize, downsize. Um, hmm. so I did and I ended up moving into a smaller office that was like half the rent and still confused, like, why did I do this? I loved my office space, like this is making no sense. And then my mom died a week later. Hmm. So, you know, it was kind of I feel like my guides in the universe really setting me up to be able to take the time off that I needed. But when I was in the middle of moving out, I got this voicemail from her. And it was kind of one of these things like, okay, is this a good time to call back? Because clearly, you know, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning and she's not sober right now. You know, what am I going to run into when I call her again? Mm -hmm. And I ended up calling her and she never picked up. And that was the last that I had heard from her, Mm -hmm. you know? So you kind of, I think where I've struggled is, you know, in learning about codependent behaviors, learning about enabling uh, behaviors with people who have addiction, I always carried, I would say, more of a tough love line with my mom. And I would always say to her, when you choose sobriety, I will support you 100%, you know, mm-hmm. offered for her when she was sober. Do you want to come live with me? I'll help you get on the ground. Then you got to get out and do stuff like that. But, you know, it did get to the point where if she was calling for money, she knew that she couldn't call me and ask for money anymore because the answer was no. Like mm-hmm. I kind of learned it's, it's not that you need gas and it's not that you have to pay a bill. It's that you're either going to get drugs or you're going to drink it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's what's made it complicated for me. Because clinically as a mental health therapist, you know, when you are trying to teach people not to enable the addict's behavior and that the addict really has to get to the point where they want to heal themselves and it has to come from within or else they they won't They won't continue to stay sober. And you're trying to hold these healthy boundaries for yourself, for your own mental health status. You know, after she died, it's like, well, could I have been a better daughter? Maybe I should have, you know, called her to check in more. Or maybe I really should have just taken her out of the situation that she was in. But then looking back at that, if that had happened, my life would have been complete chaos, you know, yeah. and that wouldn't have been helpful for her or for me. So I feel like the complication for me has been more in trying to wrestle with these boundaries that I set mm-hmm. that were out of love. And at that time felt like it was what needed to be done for us. But then you know, you second guess it a little bit. Yeah.
0: Um I, I really appreciate you sharing that because um, I've seen it from the other perspective, you're the daughter and the mother, but I've seen it with parents and children having to draw those boundaries. And I, I, I've never had to do that. And I thank God, I've never had to do that, because I can't imagine how torturous that would be for a parent to, you know, put a child out, for example, a grown child, you know, 18, 19 years old, that's, that's out of control. And, and this is a real situation that I've dealt with. And then that child, you know, transitions, dies, passes, you know, and then you're like, I was trying to set a healthy boundary. But because I said, and "This is what this is what our human mind does." Because I set that boundary, now he's dead. So now right. it's my fault, right? And we'll exactly. just start beating ourselves up and going down the cycle. So it's really helpful to hear a mental health professional tell us that when we all struggle with that, but we can only do the best we could do. This is what I always I tell my clients: you did the best you could do at the time you knew how to what to do, or what the time you had to do it.
2: Yeah, and when I go back to those times where I was kind of setting that boundary that really was right. And that is really what felt right in that moment. And that was something that I knew that I had to do. You know, if I was given a crystal ball and was like, okay, this is how your mother's going to die on the date that she's going to die. Maybe you should intervene a month before then I probably would have, you know, but again, I really trust in the fact that everything really is orchestrated in some way with the agreements that we set up with our soul with our soul group before we Mm -hmm. come in and that this is a part of my evolution. And I feel like the really tough times it's, it's really a choice of what we want to do with it. And I feel like I've had enough uh, you know, resiliency throughout my life. I've been inspired by so many other people and like yourself included where you see them go through really tough times, but they make a choice to use it for a positive, you know, and instead of, and that doesn't mean that, I'm not grieving that I don't struggle with it. Um, You know, it it doesn't mean that just because I'm trying to make a difference and work it in a way that can bring healing doesn't mean that it it still doesn't hurt. But, um, but yeah, but I think that's the important thing that it, it, it is important to know that when you're setting those boundaries, it's because you're really doing them out of love and love for yourself and love for the other person, especially with addicts because your hope is that they'll hit that rock bottom and then they will go and get help. But I have also, I do believe that, um, well, this was just a moment that I had. It was one one Christmas when my mom had actually fallen into heroin uh, use. It was Mm -hmm. really, really bad. And I had this pivotal moment in the month of December for Christmas that she probably wasn't going to show up because we couldn't find her. Mm -hmm. And so I bought her, in case she showed up, a mother-daughter charm, and it was for me to give to her, but also to bury her in it. And I know Mm -hmm. that that sounds really morbid, but it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to buy this necklace. And if we find her, if she winds up dead, I'm going to put this on her and I'll always have this charm. Mm -hmm. Um, But if she's alive, then maybe she'll wear it, but we'll still have it. But I kind of like had this strange, I don't know, like come to Jesus moment of where I was like, you know, her, her addiction is so bad that you are probably going to have to come to terms with if you set these boundaries, there is a chance that she'll die. And that you have to become comfortable with the fact that she that that death is a very serious option when it comes to people with addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's usually three options. They get sober, they go to jail, or they die, you yeah. know, is is usually of what I've seen. Yeah. So I had this moment where I got really comfortable with the fact that, okay, you know, her addiction could lead to her own death. And That relieved me of something, you know, and like from that day on, it was kind of like, but this waiting period of is it going to happen? Is she going to get sober? What is it going to be, you know? So, um, so I think that sometimes with parents, you know, cause I've, I've had parents in my practice that have had children with addiction, um, you know, that I also let them know that too, to know that it, it really is a realistic thing that could happen that, you know, if you set these boundaries, your child could go and overdose, they'll find a way to get the money, to get the drug or to get the alcohol, you know, and until they're really ready to move into a state of sobriety, it is a really realistic option, but can you try to come to more peace with that?
0: Well, and the thing is, you you can't save them either either way because if you enable them, you're endangering their lives as well. Exactly. And, and we have to really let go. This is where the things like the soul planning and, and understanding a uh, higher perspective. We need to forgive ourselves a lot of times. I, I find that more than more often than anything, we're so hard on ourselves and we we act like we're on these omniscient beings, right? If I had only known, if I if I had been there, well, you you can't know. You again, we. We make the decisions we make out of love and we have to make a decision and then let it go. Whether that's a a parent or a child or anybody else in our lives, uh, we can't control other people's behaviors.
2: Exactly. And I try to stop my thought process. Like when I get into those, what ifs, or I should have, I kind of go back to the reality of, but she's dead right? Like she has passed. So nothing that I can do from this moment on can change anything that has happened up until now. And then when I kind of redirect my thoughts to that, then I work on the grief, you know, Mm -hmm. but they come in. I mean, those thoughts come in and I think that that's natural, but Mm -hmm. I think the healing process is again, learning how to redirect and train those thoughts and to remind yourself that, okay, when I get into that state of, of grief or feeling sorry for myself, or, you know, feeling like I wasn't, you know, the best daughter, that it's like, none of these thoughts right now change the outcome. This is the outcome. Let's deal with the outcome, you know, and kind of move forward from there. So I've really tried to do a lot of training within my own mind Mm -hmm. to redirect myself back to the reality. Because I think a lot of people who lose people that they love you know, I've had clients say, well, it's not fair. And I, you know, I miss my mom or I want my mom to be here. And I wish she was here to see me, you know, get married or do this. And it's like, got it. Yeah. But she's not right. So then how do we, how do we deal with the reality of it? Because some people can also really get stuck in that area of, I just want it to be different. It's like, well, it can't be different. And there's nothing that I can say to make it different or you, you know, to make it different. So how do we work within the grief of the reality of, of what's today and what's in front of us?
0: Yeah, actually, what I do, even beyond that, because the reality is, you know, they're they're dead, which is not a word that I use. The reality, but I always I try to help people reframe reality, not to change it, but reframe it. Mm-hmm. We all come here for a certain period of time, and it's all really a short period of time, frankly. It's, not, it's nothing in the scope of eternity. We all come in. We all go out. 100%, 100% of the people that are born die. Your loved one transitioned before you, but they're still with you. You will see them again. So even this reality, it's still not as bad as you're saying it is. They're not, they're not gone forever. And what breaks my heart is when I hear people say, I'm never going to see her again. I'm like, we've got to stop that language. Mm -hmm. You, you will see her again. She's still with you. She's, she's better off now than you are. So let's reframe that reality, you know, again, not changing it, but that to me, take that, that guilt away from like, you know, I, I remember I'll never forget this. I was at a a conference a couple of years ago with Suzanne Giesman was speaking, all these 500 parents in the room. And we're all like, you know, we're she's channeling Sanaya this this entity she channel she channels. And someone asked, Why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to deal with this tragedy? You know, why us? And Sanaya's answer back was, it's a tragedy from your human perspective, from the perspective (laughs) of your your limited, small understanding of, of your your body, and your loved one left. Yes, it's a tragedy. From our perspective, it's not a tragedy. This was the plan. They're back home. They're safe. They're sound. I look at my daughters like she woke up from a dream. We're all living this dream. You mentioned virtual reality earlier. That's a very helpful analogy. It's, it's very real, but it's, it's, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And I had a nightmare two nights ago, terrified. I'm, I'm running. I'm being chased and everything. And finally in, in my nightmare, I just, I just lay down. I gave up and I woke up in my bed and I was fine. And I'm like, that's kind of how it is here. We go through all these struggles and these, and these trials and these tribulations, but when we transition, we wake up back where we were. Um, and so that's, that's the way I try to help people to, to look at it. So, um, it takes a sting out of a little bit. I hope.
2: Absolutely. I think the reframe is really important. Well said.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, April, I, uh, I really appreciate you being here today. You're, you're a fascinating person to talk to. You, you did a great job as a guest. Um, let Thank people you. know where they can reach you. I know you have several different websites, and I'll put those in the show notes, but I also like to put them in the audio. So, sure. uh, where can people reach you?
2: Yeah. So um, I do do one, my own one-on-one consultations, right? So I have my own business called Hannah's Healing. I do energy work. The pandemic has allowed me to reach people all over the world. I do stuff virtually. So that's hannahshealing.com. Mm-hmm. For your listeners, we wanted to give them um, a 30% off coupon code for Path 11 TV. Oh, awesome. um, so that's going to be podcast 30 and they can find all the videos that we're talking about on path11tv.com. They can also go to their smartphone and Type in Path11 TV and we have apps on every device: Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, Android, you name it. Go to your app store. You can download it. Um, You can also just sign up for a seven-day free trial. Um, But if you like what you see in the seven days, put in the podcast 30 and you'll get 30% off either the monthly plan. That's $9.99 a month. Um, And then the annual plan is $99. So that podcast 30 code will get you 30% off of either. And um, yeah, and people can browse that. The other thing we do with Path 11 TV is I invite people on once a month as an extra bonus for subscribers. So we just had a woman on that did Chinese face readings. We have psychic mediums that come on and do gallery readings. We've had some coaches come on to do soul coaching. So I try, uh, what I'm trying to do with Path 11 TV is build a community to get to know my subscribers where it's not like Netflix, like you subscribe, you watch, and then you're not talking to anyone. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I meet with all of our subscribers once a month for, an event. And, um, and then the podcast path 11 podcast.com. And you could find all of these links at path 11 productions.com. But pretty much if you type in path 11, death or afterlife in Google, you will find us. Um, and I really think that, you know, you've, uh, Susan Giesman, we have her presentation on there from the afterlife awareness conference. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that people can browse, uh, before signing up for a subscription, but I think your audience would benefit a lot from the content that we have on there because it's more heavily focused on the afterlife and, you know, consciousness and death studies. So, yeah. um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an awesome resource, and I know people in my audience are always looking for more. And, and there's there's so much out there. Sometimes it's just nice to have a portal, like one place to go where I can I can find this and I can just start you know binging on this stuff. And I know people literally stay up all night watching your death experience stories. So um, I'm sure they'll find a lot to, to like there at Path Eleven.
2: Yeah. So Brian, thank you so much. It was uh, just great to make this connection overall and uh, for you to support the work that we're doing and giving me an opportunity to actually come on and share my story. It's a part of my my healing journey. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks again for being here and I'll see you at the Afterlife Conference.
1: Okay. we Will do. <laughs> All
0: right. Enjoy the rest of your
1: Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and we will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash grief. The number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com.